Welcome to Cigar City Radio, episode number 40. I'm your host, Randy Ojeda, and making the magic happen, Mr. Jason Solanez. Just remember, be sure to come out or uh, If you stay in, I'm staying on. You know, I'm going to choose to ignore that, Jason, because we are now over the hill. We've hit 40 episodes. Don't depress me like that. It's Randy. just downhill from here, guys. This is it. This is the peak. Episode 40. Yeah, people are just, the wheels are going to fall off this podcast. Yeah, if you started from episode one and you've gotten to this point, just know this is it. We're going We're going straight down yep. after this. We're going to get a drum pad and we're going to attach fart noises to it and hammer noises to it and clang noises to it. Wheels are falling off. Yeah. For more episodes, head to CigarCityRadio.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast app is just search for cigar city radio you can also connect with us on facebook instagram or twitter and on all those networks our username is cigar city radio this episode is all about vinyl records lps eps and just last week brooklyn's fruit and flowers released their debut ep drug tax with one of the most gorgeous vinyl editions i've ever seen Seriously, with a beautiful front and back cover and a translucent candy red vinyl. It's a limited pressing that you definitely want to pick up while you can. You can order it today on Bandcamp via Little Dickman Records. We'll be ending this episode with the title track from that AP, so stay tuned to the end for a taste of fruit and flowers. Our guests on this episode are Doug and Michelle Allen, owners of Bananas Music, the world's largest collection of vinyl records. They collectively have over 17,000 square feet of space in two stores, their vinyl warehouse, and their retail store on 22nd Avenue in St. Petersburg. Bananas Music has even been listed by Rolling Stone as one of the best record stores in the U.S., and it's right in our backyard. And long before we started this podcast, Jason and I used to spend a lot of time hanging out at Bananas Music, roaming those halls, getting lost in the... uh, Latin jazz, <laughs> world music records. I'm talking millions upon millions of vinyl records. And if you love vinyl, it's a place you definitely have to put on your bucket list of shops you need to hit. Make a trip out here to St. Pete and go to Bananas Music. And lots of people do. People plan vacations around coming to this place. So it truly is special. Bananas Music is celebrating their 40th anniversary this Saturday, July 8th, at their 22nd Avenue store in St. Pete. The event will feature giveaways, free beer and wine, live music, DJs, and some amazing deals on vinyl, CDs, cassettes, and more. You can find out more on their website, musicfinder.com. Also, how great is it that our 40th episode is the Bananas 40th anniversary episode? I wasn't expecting that even when we recorded it. No, I didn't even think about it. It never crossed our minds. Total coincidence, but here it is, episode Number 
We're hanging out here with Doug and Michelle Allen from Bananas Music, the world's largest record store. Obviously, we have not been to every record store <laughs> in the world, but yeah. we get people from all over the world. And so people come in and they tell us, I travel a lot. I've been to a lot of record stores and I have never been to a record store of this size. Yeah. Now, building wise, probably not the biggest. Inventory wise, the biggest. Yeah. You were yeah. just telling us that, you know, we're, we're looking around. There's probably what a couple million records here. Uh, in this Maybe building, I'm not sure. At the other one, I, I'm pretty sure we're somewhere between three and four million. And you have even more in storage, you were saying? At least as much in storage as we have out. That's incredible. There's a there's yeah. a, a another store that has oh, most yeah. of the records. And then um, uh, there's a storage warehouse that's about 8,000 square feet. And then there's another warehouse across town that has stuff in it that we haven't seen in about 20 years. <laughs> what are you going to find in there? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. When, when, when you put stuff away like that because there isn't room in the store, you're you're taking things out of it that you think will sell right away, and you're deferring certain things. Um, sometimes it just never came back out again. There's just more stuff. Well, the intent in. is not to leave it there very long. Sure. But then time clicks on, and you forget that you have it there. And so then you suddenly realize that what started out as like five boxes is now 250 boxes, and yeah. you know, because you just yeah. keep piling it in there. So no, some I mean, of the things are not probably good anymore but some things are probably great yeah we'll find out when we open up the warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> one day one day you'll find out yeah. it's awesome to see how long you've been part of the community and working here at bananas music it was what the, the late 70s that you started 70, <clears throat> 77 was when we start april 77 so our actually 40th anniversary is in april oh, this wow. year but because of record store day uh, we can't do anything else uh, big party wise so we have an anniversary date set july 8th to celebrate the 40th anniversary, years. and that'll be here on Doug's 70th birthday. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have to come out for that. That's, yeah, that's it'll be awesome. fun. We're going to have, you know, like we have, I just today, I got Jethro Tall tickets to give away and, you know, Ooh. stuff like that. So there'll be, you know, we'll have a couple of local bands playing and we'll have, we've been giving away something called Banana Bucks. And so we started on record store day. So, you know, if you buy so much money, you get this banana bucks. It might be $5 banana buck, $10 banana buck. And then you get to use it on that day. So we, we had one fella that came from, I think he was from Virginia on record store day. And he spent about $1,000. He came and he said, oh, I'll definitely be back for the anniversary sale. Sure. He says, I got to use my banana bucks. And I'm thinking, you're going to come all the way down here just to use like $50 for the banana buck? <laughs> he says, no, I have $250 oh. worth of banana bucks. <laughs> so joke's on you then. <laughs> so he says, I will be back. And yeah. I thought, great. That was the whole point. Yeah, of yeah. course, of yeah. course, yeah, yeah, and that's what's amazing is yeah, people really do come from all over to 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 see you know this collection and, and purchase from your store. They and, do, yeah, yeah. People set their vacations around yeah. it sometimes. They do. <laughs> yeah. Record mm -hmm. collectors do not everybody. Yeah, yeah, not everybody. Obviously. Record collectors. Yeah. yeah, and I think what's cool too is like now you know everybody talks about kind of this this vinyl resurgence where records are starting to you know I, I guess the records have been mainstream again for a while but this is something from the very beginning you've been all about the records like you didn't let cds or anything to turn well, i mean you have cds not, obviously oh, yeah. but it's always been about the records we stuck with them when everybody else didn't yeah. I, well I, that's where we got the big massive part of our collection was in the cd era a lot of stores stopped buying vinyl because they thought no one would buy it yeah 
we always had an international presence. Even in snail mail days, we were sending tons of records to Europe, you know, England and Germany and wherever. And so they didn't abandon vinyl format like they did here in the States. Right. And, and never did. So we were doing a lot of international mail order, but we were getting most of the collections because we were the only store really buying up everything that came our way still as long as we had capital to do so we would do it yeah and so we got a lot of inventory in the 80s that's why the warehouses so. are filled with boxes of, <laughs> of vinyls that just yeah. didn't fit yeah. yeah yeah so it's it's that's that really helped us along plus we had a database way early way early we had bought a computer you know like in I don't know what 86. was it. 86. Bought it from Sears, who didn't even sell computers, but they started by Epson, who didn't make computers. They were a printer company. It was like a monochrome uh, with a, um, it was a 8 megahertz speed computer, <laughs> yeah. and it had a turbo button that you could make it run at 12. It was, I mean, it was really, I mean, yeah. it was like uh, one software, boost. you know, monochrome monitor, the whole bit. But it allowed us to, start building that database of archives that we put on our website eventually. And, yeah. and that really helped too. So no, that's very forward. Yeah, we were kind of pioneers in our day. I yeah, guess. By the time <laughs> the internet came around, we had it, we had a database yeah, of we like 70,000 pieces. Mm -hmm. And, and we found a site that didn't charge you until you, until you uh, sold it. So, I mean, suddenly we were selling, I think within two or three weeks we were selling things in Estonia. So, yeah, so pretty it, much. You know, it, it kept us alive when what, 8,000 stores closed. Yeah. So. Well, this is back when there was just what they used to call them bulletin boards. Bulletin boards. It was before that. the internet. There was you could. It's before he was born. Yeah, yeah it was <laughs> before he was born. It wasn't really the internet, but it was a way you could go on and you could look at other people's postings, and it was, they were called bulletin boards. It's very very early days. So you would post the. You would post things on these bulletin yeah. boards. It was weird. Yeah, yeah. That is so, weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, well, and now the information's just everywhere, you know? Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> oh, a, yeah. it's yeah. a snap decision. Yeah. I mean, literally, someone would send us a piece of mail, and on this piece of mail, it would say, I'm looking for these five records, okay? It might come from England. And then you would go, and you would look for these five things, and then you would write it all out as to what it was, the condition, the price, and then you would mail it back to them. So now we're, all, like, already two weeks into this thing, right? And then they would decide when they got it if they wanted anything, and they would send you a money order. And so now it's another week for it to come back. Wow. This is how it used to be. And then we would ship the product to them. So when you're all said and done, it could be a month to two months before they ever got their product. Now... They just, you know, it's they Click pick it off your yeah. list. They buy it. They pay it with PayPal or whatever. I ship it the same day. They get it in a week. Yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing in Estonia. Yeah. In Estonia. Anywhere, yeah. anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. we we've sent to the Falkland Islands. We've sent everywhere. I mean, wow. I can't. You know, I, China's probably the only place that I is the most infrequent place um, that I. But I have sent to China as well. So. Yeah. Now, I've always been curious because, you know, we've been coming to this store for 10 years, 12 years, something like that. And it, it always surprises me how it's surprisingly organized for such a large collection. How much time do you guys spend actually? 10 hours a day. 10 hours a day. Every day. Yeah, every all day, day all day long. I mean, you know, I'm. it's very important to do that because you don't want to waste a lot of time looking for things. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, some record collectors love that aspect well, of it. Well, you know. the digging, yeah. yeah. They like the digging. The they like the digging because <laughs> yeah. they feel like they can find surprise things that they weren't looking for. Sure. But on our end, 
if if it's not really organized, I, it just takes too long. Yeah, you know, to find anything. I mean, we get people on the phone. They go, "Well, do you have this?" You go, "Well, let me go check. I'll be right back." We can't be right back in a half hour if you got to go through. You know what Every I mean? Every single box. Yeah, you have to yeah. be able to go right to it and and see what you have. So yeah, it's no, we constant. Yeah, I mean, I've, I'd imagine that'd be one of the biggest parts of the job is keeping uh keeping inventory and and keeping everything organized. It is, and you know, we've we've been to a lot of stores you know, around the country and in England and different places. And we're pretty organized. Yeah, no, very, very organized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And even, even the warehouse location, you know, yeah. for such a large store, like you have, it, it feels like a library. You know, you walk in and there's a, you know, a categorized system of where to yeah. find what you're looking for. And, you know, we get compared a lot to Amoeba. That's the store we get compared yeah, a lot sure. to. We even have a customer who's her boyfriend, uh, mother lives here so they come here all the time but she works for amoeba out i think she works in the hollywood one she wears our t-shirt to work she just loves our store <laughs> yeah but the difference is that they're mostly there new that job. i know they're mostly <laughs> new um and they also have browser bins okay. where we if i had browser bins for my stock over there we'd have to have a fifty thousand square foot building i mean you know to do everything like this rather than and it is a pain i'll be the first one to admit it's a pain you know, yeah. to be looking at records like that. But that's the only way we have to do it because yeah. of the space that you know, It was we originally have. designed as a mail order operation. So it was for us as much as the customers so that we could get a lot of records well organized and we could just walk right to it and, and, and find something for somebody. And that's worked out rather well. But uh, what were a couple of the complaints were, yeah, a little, little too much stuff. That, yeah, that, we I had, never understood yeah. that complaint. One yeah. complaint was we <laughs> no, had too much like, stuff, and yeah. that they were overwhelmed. And a couple of <laughs> overweight people had trouble with the um, uh, with the aisles. Yeah, but, yeah, sure. But it's still that's the biggest part of. Uh, well, it's a good half of our business is mail order, so you know, it gives us the ability to carry way more records than than a regular store would. Yeah, yeah, and uh, my favorite part of the warehouse is always uh, going downstairs. To mm -hmm. where it feels like sort of a mad scientist laboratory of records. <laughs> that's where I. That's where I found some of the, the best we, stuff. Yeah, we have some yeah. bad habits. <laughs> yeah. It's not very organized downstairs. No, not downstairs. Yeah, yeah. You don't, oh, that's where you find yeah. some gems for sure. There is some great stuff down there, but I mean, just today I was down there um, this morning looking for something in the vocal room, and I found a Tom Lear. He's not vocal. <laughs> it's comedy. And I found a Mamas and Papas album. So, you know, people, they, you know, we find stuff just stuck everywhere. Yeah. You know, people change their minds. So that's, that's that true. part of that organization thing well, again. Sometimes people pull things and planning on buying them and they put them down somewhere in the store and they never find them again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that could, that <laughs> could happen too. happens too. too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. So. That's amazing. And uh, so, but you still have a significant uh, number of mail orders too, right? I mean, the oh, yeah. It's it, it more than fifty percent of our business is still international mail. Well, in that location, at yeah. that location, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, and this oh, yeah. look this location's been around. I know it's been around a while, but it was eight years. I think we're yeah. in our eighth year. So relatively new. <laughs> yeah, you know, we just kept, we kept, we've moved about four times, I guess, since the mm -hmm. beginning, and most of it was to, because we needed more space. You know, yeah. we would get larger and larger. the The first place we were at on Central, we were there twelve years, wow. and so we would get these little five hundred square foot, and we'd knock the world down until we'd get the next one until we had five of them, and then we ended up moving all together because there's no more space. Um, and then we decided after we were in business about what thirty years, yeah, about thirty years. We don't really want to work as much as we were working. You know, we're, I mean, yeah. even to this day, Doug and I still work ten hours minimum a day yeah, you're just saying you already drove from tampa and <laughs> yeah. back, oh, yeah. right? yeah 
So we decided we wanted to do just mail order. We could do just mail order and we could just work pretty much whenever we wanted. It would be really nice, right? Yeah. Literally, we could not get customers to stop coming. Wow. They'd come and they'd knock on the door, you know, and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So during the economic downturn is when we actually opened the store, which was 2010. Mm-hmm. And Doug, this became available. And Doug comes up to me and he goes, hey, the, that store is available. He says, I, I think we should look at that and take it. And I looked at him and I thought, you are nuts. <laughs> You're nuts. I mean, people are closing their doors. Yeah. You know, we, we'd be lucky to stay alive, you know, if we're, you know, really keep ahead of ourselves. Because the one thing that we're very good at, we're very good at reinventing ourselves. So, you know, as format changes through the years and big box stores coming in and stealing your business and yada, yada, yada. So we're very good at staying ahead of the game. So anyway, I called my accountant and I said, you are going to think we are out of our minds, you know, during this time period that we're going to open a new store. And he said, well, you have the inventory. Yeah, we so we definitely did. do. And, and it's been a really good choice. So <laughs> needless to say, we're not working less. Well, the, yeah. other, the other store so, was somewhat invisible. On 16th Avenue, you you are not going to be driving down the street and go, oh, a record store. You have to be going there. Mm -hmm. So when we reopened here, people were commenting, we're glad to see you back in business. Now, we never were out in the phone book. (laughs) We had the same phone number for 35 years or something like that. But that location was designed to be mail order. And then when we opened this, you know, people were glad to see us back uh, in regular retail. Yeah. But the the regular collectors, including the foreigners, never had any trouble finding us. They'd hop in a cab and say, take us to Bananas. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we'd go. Oh, yeah. We would make day trips out to Bananas where we'd drive over from Tampa and just hang out for four or five hours, you know, looking around and, and buying a ton of records. Our philosophy was always that, that we had broader tastes in music and we thought other people also did. It wasn't just rock and roll, which is still my favorite, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, there's there's stuff in there that you won't find in anybody else's store ever. Yeah, my um my family's Cuban, so I always look for you know interesting like Cuban and Afro Cuban records, and yeah, I've, I think I found hot. I think I found most of them at Bananas. Yeah, there is a map. There's two maps actually. What was the first one? Was it the Japanese used oh. to say that they had a map for record collectors, and on this map you had stores in you know London and Paris and New York and Los Angeles and Saint Petersburg, Florida. And then just recently, somebody somewhere, I forgot, said they saw, it was a customer, said he was, I think, in France or one of those places, again, that said, if you are a serious record collector and you ever get to the States, you have to go to Bananas Records. So that was nice. I mean, I love those plugs. You know, it was nice. Who doesn't like free plugs? Yeah. And so what do you think is the biggest change in records in the last, you know, 30 years. The price. The well, price. The price. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing about the new vinyl. We think it's extremely overpriced. Um, I think it's overpriced because the industry is saying, I can. Yeah. So it's, I will. It's supply and demand, I That's guess. That's right. So, yeah. um, if you are after a Eagles album and the original is like $7.99, why would you pay $25 for a 180-gram yeah. copy? I don't, I don't understand it. The other thing that I don't like about the new wave of vinyl is that um, it might be on vinyl, but it's not necessarily analog. Yeah. It's just a format choice. So I encourage people to read the liner notes and figure out how this item was recorded. Um, You know, early albums are analog. 
totally different sound. Mm -hmm. If you buy a digital piece on vinyl as your format choice, it could be the same as listening to a compact disc. So a lot of people don't realize that. It is not different. It's just a different format. Yeah. So I don't like that part of it. I think it's easy for the industry to do it digitally, and then they charge you for it. And I and I don't like that. That's, yeah. that's the thing that bothers me the most about the new vinyl. Yeah. I think, I mean, personally, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I'm a little bothered by all the reissues and, like, all the bigger labels are coming out with these reissues for records. And there's only so many record pressing plants that it forces the smaller independent labels to, like, sit on... You True. Know, three, four months on a waiting list to get their records now, printed. But the know, accessibility of a lot of good titles is not there. So people are kind of forced to buy those reissues. That's they, also they true. Get, yeah, that they, is they true. They can't get really decent copies of Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, and they're expensive. Yeah. So but the your point, help. your point is good because there's a lot of things we see that are coming out as reissues, might be psych records or something like that, that they don't make it on their release date because they do take that backseat to some of the other yeah some of the bigger bigger labels. things that are being come come out yeah. yeah so yeah and that's exactly what drives the price up of everything you know because there's only so many records getting made so yeah 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 they must be making more uh pressing plants though. i would hope so i mean yeah. if i had the capital that's what i'd invest in as a as a record plan i think they bought some of the equipment back from south america and stuff yeah you know it, it had all gotten sold into third world countries and then they go down and rebuy it and put it back in in use yeah yeah, there was one in Germany, I think, that they said that they had. Did you read that article? Where they had all that old equipment. They showed pictures of this really antiquated-looking things, but they put it all back together again. Random question. You mentioned price. What's the most expensive vinyl record you have in stock right now? You know, I don't know. Um, we just sold an album for $1,500. It was a jazz guy. I can't even tell you who it was. <laughs> Is that the Sun Ra one? No, the Sun Ra one we got $750 for. This was a jazz. It was on Prestige label. I don't think he did a lot of records, mm. but we just we just sold that one for fifteen hundred. Other than that, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I really I mean, don't know. When we started in the seventies, the the new price of records was like eight ninety eight, okay. and our price was three ninety five or three for ten dollars. But I'd say forty years later. 60, 70 percent of the store is still under five dollars. Yeah, so there's not a lot of changes in 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 the regular records and like the used vinyl. Yeah, yeah two ninety nine yeah. to four ninety nine is yeah. pretty standard. And the internet's taken some of the expensive things and 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 lowered the price because of the uh, the accessibility and the the obvious. I mean, when you used to come into our store, if you had a record that you hadn't seen in years, you know, you price it based on that kind of thing. And it's a mint copy. Now you go on the internet and there's. 70 copies available in all kinds of conditions and all kinds of prices. So the True. The, the competition, there's still some stuff that, are, that brings real, real money. So, But it's usually limited pressings. Yeah. Things that are obscure, things that weren't readily available in their day and have become popular later. Yeah. Is there a particular genre that that's more jazz? Probably. Jazz, I would is, imagine. Jazz, jazz is probably the biggest on certain labels. Yeah, for collectors. Okay. I would well, say. a rock album yeah. might sell 100,000 or a million records and a jazz album, a good sale might be 10,000. So how many are su surviving from 1958? Yeah, well, and also, um, if you think about the kind of equipment that those got played on, it wasn't the best equipment. I mean, we grew up in an era where 
your turntable was one of those changers, and so mm -hmm. you'd stack it up, and then you know it would automatically reject, and the record would drop down, and the needle nobody ever changed their needles. I, yeah. Horrible, horrible. Yeah, that could for, do some damage to the record. Well, I mean, and those you can tell because a lot of those records, when you start playing them, the lead-in track on is the noisiest always because mm. of the way it slaps down, and the arm comes over and clinks down on it, and it was just just not very good stuff back then i mean yeah. people had really good equipment but it was very expensive i mean they've been making morant stuff since the 50s very expensive it was like twenty five hundred, three thousand dollars at the time sure yeah so accessibility to the equipment though has changed you can go on uh, uh amazon and put in turntables and you've got 200 pages of available material yeah you can get a turntable for under 100 bucks you Mostly can from china. Yeah. <laughs> almost always from china you know the funny thing is even audio technica which is a japanese company mm -hmm. theirs are made in china now really mm -hmm. so yeah i mean you know it's a bottom bottom line yeah you know i mean we don't like to say really much negative about anything but i will say <laughs> we, we've Never wanted to sell those Crosleys, right? Just yeah. horrible, horrible stuff. And people kept pressuring us, why aren't you stocking these? Why aren't you stocking these? So finally I said, okay. So I ordered like 10 of them. I have four back immediately. Wow. And I thought, out of the box. I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. And that new vinyl that we talked about will not play on Crosleys. So uh, they hop and skip. They're too heavy for those platters. So when people bring back a piece of new vinyl and they say, oh, this thing skips, very first question, what are you playing it on? Yeah. And they go, Crosley. Go, okay, this is your problem. And we'll yeah. put it on our turntable and we'll play perfectly. And, you know, so we try to, you know, educate people that, you know, if you're especially if you're first starting out, save a little longer, just a little longer and buy, a, you know, we can get you going with a system for pretty inexpensive that you'll be happy with in the long run. It'll sound, It'll sound ten much times better. better than some of the Chinese stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because people want, they come in, they want to start right away, and they don't they don't have anything. They have, you know, they come in, they want to buy a turntable. I'll say, well, what kind of amplifier do you have? Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, do you have speakers? Oh, you have to have speakers. <laughs> yeah, they think you can just plug, <laughs> plug in, in the turntable and yeah. then it works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have to, you know, you have to educate, especially people who didn't grow up in that era. So. Um, they just, they see them at, you know, Targets or the big box stores and they just want to buy them because they're cute or pretty or whatever mm -hmm. and they're set to go. But they're horrible. I mean, they don't, they don't play well. They don't sound good. They yeah. don't, you know, last. But we do demonstrations all the time of what the record should sound like mm -hmm. because if they buy, you know, paying $30 for a record and $50 for your sound system, that's just wrong. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely got, something wrong there. We got customers that spent $80,000 on their turntable and that's wrong too. That's <laughs> wrong too. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, unless you're unless you're really into it, I guess you know, really into the tinkering. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, what we you had get a we had a German <laughs> customer that said he had a turntable that ran on compressed air. What? And the generator was <laughs> so loud, he had to have it installed. It was all installed on the outside of his house. He said it was not a wife friendly piece of equipment. <laughs> right. Yeah. I wouldn't say so. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, people are really into it. I yeah. Mean, we get people, some people come in and they're more into the technical aspect than they are the music. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of audiophiles that oh, are like that. Oh, yeah. You know. they, they know way too much. Yeah. I mean, way too much for their own good. I, and I, I think anyway. A lot of information on the internet now about the best sounding quality of different pressings and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's something that, that you couldn't have gotten 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. 
So, yeah. yeah, a lot of people coming in with like their discogs, discog accounts. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. and, th and that is important to those people who have that kind of hearing. I don't, but but uh, uh, everything sounds pretty good to me. You know, yeah. the thing about discogs, though, and we sell a ton of stuff on discogs, um, is that it's good and bad for the industry because everybody looks it up. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's got their app, so everybody looks it up. But it's also good because it's, I mean, that's bad for record stores that want to, you know, just kind of pick a price. But it's also good because it, it it does make you be more in line with what the actual market yeah. will bring for those sure. things. So it's brought a lot of our prices down, but it's also brought some things up that we had no idea. Yeah. You know, so. But it definitely levels the playing field. You it know? very much it so. Yeah, I think sure. so, too. Yeah. And it is the it is the go to site because there are, there are other places to look. But eBay that's not a market value. That's an auction site. So yeah. it's it's not a good, you know, place to really monitor yeah. what it's worth. Things sell for two dollars one day and two hundred the next. Yeah, you can't, you can't you get can't any really. sense out of that. Mm -mm. Yeah, no. But yeah, that, that's what I think the benefit to Discogs is that it does give you a pretty good baseline of what mm -hmm. you think your collection might be worth. You know, um, the biggest fault that I have with anything, whether it be a, a, a price guide or a website or whatever, is pe all people do when they're trying to sell you records is they zero in on the price, right? right? And they'll say, well, I saw a copy of this on eBay for $40. And I'll, and I'll give you a good example of that. So this lady drives up from Lakeland. She doesn't call, nothing. She just shows up. She has one record to sell from Lakeland. And it's a, a Broadway version of My Fair Lady. And I said to her, I'm very sorry but this is not something that we're interested in buying. And she said, well, I saw this on eBay for $40. I said, I don't doubt you. Just because someone has it listed for $40 doesn't mean it's ever going to sell. Yeah. Truly, come upstairs and you can have your pick of about 100 of these for $2. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really. And she was angry with me. But, I mean, you can't win that game. I mean, right. so they don't, they don't realize that the price is based on the issue First pressing, second pressing, reissue, mm -hmm. um, whether it's near mint, sealed, trashed, those it varies across the board. They just zero in on the price. See? Yeah. It's very difficult to buy records if people have looked them all up and said, well, you know, I, I've seen it for this. And you can tell they have these little tags on there that say, you know, this one's $20 <laughs> and this one's $15 and this one. And yeah. then you say to them, I'm sorry, we don't buy records like that. You can't in the first place. We buy a thousand records a day. Yeah. So it's just you just can't do it. And so you know, trying to educate people to that respect of the business too is that it's all based. It's just like buying stamps or toys or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. I had a friend that used to run a baseball card shop, and same it was thing. same kind oh, of yeah. thing. Like mm -hmm. they'd buy a massive collection, and there mm -hmm. might be a couple diamonds in the rough that they can mark right. up and, and make their, their but the rest of them are a dime a dozen exactly yeah but it, it is good for for people to protect themselves you know just you know to to take a look and see if they have something that is that you know they, yeah. they, they want to know yeah and then you get those people that have been watching too much pawn stars and stuff and try to come in here and sell you some mint thing i bet you <laughs> half the stuff on pawn stars don't don't really ever sell no probably not yeah. probably not so I yeah. mean, if we sold everything we ever bought Oh man, we could travel the world a hundred times over. Yeah. But it doesn't work like that in real life. It just doesn't. Yeah. Once again, that's where that stuff in the warehouse appeared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Man, you should you should call Pawn Stars, have them just go through the warehouse. You never know. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, did you see the guy? Um, he owns a recycling business in Brazil. Did you read that one? No. Uh, he's 
uh, he wants to own um, a copy of every piece of music that's ever been made. And I said, Good well, how would, but how would you know that you had them all? You, you could never know that. Yeah. But they showed a picture of him and he had staff all sorting records and they were in these giant dumpsters. I mean, just giant. And they were filled to the top, giant. You'd have to get a ladder to climb into these things. And they were just sorting through all these, these records. But that's, you know, he's a multi-mega millionaire and that's his that's his goal. Hobby That's right probably now. what I would spend my money on if I was a <laughs> mega multimillionaire. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably, yeah, I'd, I'd probably buy too many records too. So I get yeah. that. Yeah. Well. So, that's what we said. If we if we ever sold the store, we'd just start over again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be easy to do. Yeah. It's well, I mean, I can tell you guys have a passion for this. I mean, you you don't do this for forty years and not enjoy it. You well, know? you know, it's, it's it's better than real work. It's better than real work, <laughs> and you know, it's funny because we both had professional jobs, and so when we just said, Doug's. He's not a real good employee. I'll give him that for other people. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a great self-employed person, but he's, yeah. he doesn't like working for other people. But, you know, it's different when you own your own business. I mean, you're the one that makes it work. And yeah. so, you know, if you don't do a good job, then the whole thing suffers. And so we we're, we are we're very good at what we do, but we're very serious about it. And it's, it's a business. And, you know, we have 12 employees. So, you know, we have to make it do good yeah. so that they can do good. So, you know, it all goes together. But you don't, you, uh, you know, 50% of all businesses fail. So to be around for 40 years, then we obviously did something right. Um, I'd say a few things. A right. few things. But I mean, I'm, <laughs> we made our we made our share of mistakes, I'm sure, along oh, the lines, yes. you know. Um, but we made enough good decisions to kind of let it go forward. And and it's an ever-changing industry. So yeah. it can be a very tough business at the same time. And, you know, we've had some pretty lean years. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Over the years. But, you know, you just, you don't base anything on a day or two. You base it on, you know, just a long-term thing. And if everything seems to be going swimmingly, you stay the course. You know, and you don't take, you don't take too much out of it. You know, when you're building your business, you have to put a lot into it. You can't take out. Yeah. So mostly yeah. time. Mostly time. And exactly. hard work and energy. Yeah. Yeah, and energy. And like I said, he's he's a madman. He just keeps going and <laughs> going and going and going. He's like a little energizer bunny. She's been telling me to be careful buying records for twenty years. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny because it's it's hard to resist because we've we've gone into collections. Um, well, let's tell them our favorite one. So we we went to Tampa. It was a man who lived in this house with a detached garage, had no furniture. All he had was shelves on the wall, all the way around, every wall, bathroom, everywhere. And it was all Dixieland jazz records, right? Well, jazz records sell great. Dixieland, not so much. So, sixty was it 60,000? 60, 60,000 albums. I don't think we ever really knew how many were there because it was two buildings all together. Yeah, 60,000 wow. albums. And so we walked in and we realized it was all Dixieland jazz. And I said to him, we're not buying these. Because it's just work at the end of the day. It's yeah, just work, yeah. and we're not buying them. So he says, well, how about if we make them a really little offer? And I said, we're not buying these. It's just, you know, too much work. So there's another man there looking, and uh, Doug ended up making an offer. And he only offered him like $2,000 for this 60,000 records. It's nothing, yeah. right? Well, so then Sometimes the other— Sometimes that helps you make the decision. If they say no, you don't have to do it. That's right. <laughs> and so the other man that was there offered them $2,500. And so he got the records, and I'm like, oh, thank God. So <laughs> about eight years later, we get this phone call, and this guy calls, and he says, um, remember those Dixieland jazz records over in Tampa? He says, I'm the guy that bought those. 
Well, he thought he was going to put them all on eBay and make a fortune. Mm. And he put them in storage and paid $18,000 in storage fees. Never sold any records. It just didn't sell. Didn't sell. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, you have to know what your market is. Yeah, you got to be smart. Right. But, I mean, we, we've been in houses where, I mean, they were stacked floor to ceiling or there were little pads, you know, and stuff like that. And pretty interesting places. And it's amazing how much stuff people can collect. Uh, we did one years ago now where the guy uh, lived with his mother and he only bought soundtracks. And it was on DVDs, CDs, record albums, laser disc. He took all the dishes out of the kitchen and the cabinets were full of like DVDs and stuff. All sealed. Never See, opened there, any There are them. people worse than me. Yeah, there are people <laughs> worse than you. All sealed, never opened. He probably spent $50,000 on a credit card to buy all this stuff. Yep. Yeah, that's amazing. No, that's, people do. He cried when we took those out. He did cry. Oh, he felt man. bad, but yeah. his mother was quite relieved. So, Isn't that anyway. a nice story? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes yeah. you think. Yeah. 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 So, anyway. So, Bananas Music, 40 years, the 40 year anniversary is coming up, the unofficial 40th anniversary, right? So, what's what's on the horizon after that? Another another 40 years of Bananas uh, well, Music? Well, not with us, obviously. <laughs> um, no, our son's here now. Our son's here. Um, he's very interested. He loves the business, but, you know, he's from a baby. You know, he's 38. So, from a baby, he's been involved. Um, he, our, was, he was in a crib in the first door. He was in the first door. Wow. Um, our daughter's not as interested, but I think she could be. Her husband is, you know, and they live in Austin, Texas, you know, music. Oh, yeah, great yeah. Music. We were just great, there. Yeah. Great music stuff. And she's been there nine years, but they're really tired of it. It's, you know, very busy and traffic is horrendous and stuff. So she's kind of over living there. So we're really working hard on getting them to move back to be join the business so that, you know, we can take more time off and they can kind of kind of help take over. All of our employees are terrific, though. We have the best staff. So we don't really worry. We go off and, you know, we check in. And then and we can stuff. travel and look for records. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I you know, I, outside of it, I mean, it is kind of a, it's a family business in the respect that, you know, Doug and I are here and, you yeah. know, we're hands-on. But we couldn't do it without having terrific people working for us. Uh, so we don't really worry too much. So it doesn't really matter whether our kids are on board or not. We always feel like we have somebody that, you know, watches the store and, and treats it like it's their own, yeah. you know, when we're not around. So um, we're hoping, though, that I think my son will probably carry it on. And whether he's going to be as good a business person as we are, that'll be yet to be seen. But he seems to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's really good at it. And so I feel lucky in that respect. Yeah. It'll yeah. probably carry on in It'll some carry form. on. I, I think so. I mean, it's like you said, you, you're you're great at, at at reinventing yourselves and finding, you know, new new niches within the market. Well, you, you know? have to be. That's yeah. the only way yeah. to really survive. So and you know, this this area has a lot of great record stores. I mean it's surprisingly when you yeah. think about I think there are fourteen in Pinellas County now. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well when you think about the Tri City area really being what about three million people, that's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of record stores here. And they yeah. all really thrive. You yeah. know, and we, you know, we have a really good re working relationship with everybody. You know, it's it's the ultimate goal is that people get what they're looking for. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I'll call Daddy Cools and say, hey, do you have this record? Because I don't have it or, you know, whatever. I, I did that the other day. The customer bought something from me that was a record store day thing from a couple years ago, and it was defective. And we looked on Discogs to see if we could find another one. 
and Daddy Cools had one listed. So I called Manny and I said, hey, you got this as you do on uh, Discogs? Customer wants to buy it. He goes, okay, I'll hold it. Yeah. You know, it's a great working relationship. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, all so, the stores cater to pretty oh, different markets. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the guys at Mojo love them. Really, yeah. really nice people. Danny's a wonderful guy. So, yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, uh, we're, we're pretty much out of time, but okay. I just wanted Good. to ask any final words of wisdom for either record collectors or anybody that maybe wants to open a record store? Bring all your records here <laughs> if you have them to sell. Yes. <laughs> yeah, don't sell them to anybody yeah, else. Sure. Um, if you're looking to get into the business, it does take capital and it takes a lot of hours. So be prepared for one thing. Um, and the second thing is if you're going to be a store owner, you can't hoard it all for yourself. You've got to leave the gems for the customers. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Mm -hmm. You can't fall in love with it. Can't fall in love with your stock. Yeah. Got to be willing to sell it. That's a yep. real, that's a really good word of wisdom mm -hmm. for any business owner. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. So increasingly for music lovers, I mean, obviously the digital age is here and people are all about it. Um, there's a massive difference that I'm finding with people loving a physical record and opening Spotify. Like personally, when I look at some of my records, I get butterflies because I literally love my records. I have never opened Spotify and thought, I really love this digital, digital thing that I'm looking at, you know? So in that regards, I'm going to throw a sales pitch for why people in the digital age should love records a little more. And I'd like to hear what you guys would say as a sales pitch for it or like a slogan for it. So mine would be learn to physically love your music. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, people, I'm thinking. The, the, the experience of a record when you bought it was uh, was about opening it up, reading liner notes. And I know there's liner notes on CDs, but the artwork is not there in, in a form that's enjoyable. Um, well, I, I, my thing that I always said to people is, look, People always bought, in the CD era, they bought CDs, but they didn't fall in love with their CDs. People who have vast record collections love their records. Yeah. They love their records. They, they handle them carefully. They, you know, work on them. They read them, whatever. CDs, they don't even put them back in the case. There is, there is something about the physical item that, that, yeah, that absolutely. really appeals to, to people. It seems to me like a big part of it is that Back in the day, you had a big amp, you had a record player, you had your speakers, and you had your record collection. So your music literally took up a physical presence in your room. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, there are headphones that literally just stick in your ear with no wires and your phone that connects to it. And it takes up no physical presence. You don't have physical commitment. You could break your phone and your headphones and buy new ones and have all your stuff right back to where you had yeah. it. But your record collection, if you lose one record, you might not be able to replace it. So you have a real love for these things. And it seems like the more and more we condense our music, both digitally and physically, the more we lose a literal love for our music. I would say to people, give yourself a chance to listen to both formats and make your choice which is best for you and learn to know the, learn the difference between the high fidelity of a record and how warm it sounds and real it sounds compared to the loudness of a digital format and how far away and tin canny it can sound. And it's it's vastly different. I think most people don't give themselves the opportunity to listen to both and discover the difference mm. between the sound because people say, I don't hear it. 
Okay, that's because you're not listening to both formats. You're just listening to one side by side to figure out what we're talking about. There is a true difference in sound. But there's also Quality. there's also a thing about about the selection of available music. No, no, uh, what are we? What are we last, well, only five percent. Only five percent of the music uh, catalog ever made it to compact disc, and less than ten percent is available as a download. So there's all that music. Some of it's dreck, but uh, there's an awful lot of things out there that the industry doesn't see as a viable economic thing, and yet the music's great. You know, so record collecting has that part of it that you're going to discover mm-hmm. great sounds. I mean, even to this day, 40 years later, I was I put a Beatles album on the turntable and I had the headphones on and I was just testing it for quality. And my son looked at me and I looked at him and I said, this is awesome. It was so good, you yeah. know, and it was a Beatle album that I've probably listened to a hundred times. It was still fantastic. And it was on vinyl. So it's, yeah. hard, it's hard to, to get bored of it when it's not oh, boring. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So as promised, here's Drug Tax by Fruit and Flowers from the EP Drug Tax out now on Little Dickman Records. <laughs> 